If you've ever watched the movie, The Big Short, when I watched that movie, it just made me sick in my stomach. Cause I'm like, oh, I remember that. I remember that. I remember that. So all of the uh, mortgages and the debts that we had and people who were paying their rents to us, they stopped. We also had someone who destroyed one of our properties. And again, when we went to go try to renovate it, we legit couldn't because there wasn't enough equity in the house to get money. So we went upside down really quickly when everybody else went upside down. We also were riskier than I think we probably should have been with our cash investments. The Big Short movie gives you a glimpse into the years preceding the collapse of Lehman Brothers and the housing market in the United States, which led to the 2008 financial crash and the Great Recession. Bad things can happen all the time to great entrepreneurs, even when you have tried to do all the right things. My guest today was in the housing market. When the 2008 housing bubble burst, so was her real estate business, which left her with more than half a million dollar in business and personal debts. She set up a plan on how to pay back her business and personal debts. It took years, but she did pay back her debts. She took a step back to know her superpower and now built a new business. Today's episode is the last episode in this podcast series, Humility and Resilience. Over the last few weeks, I have talked to mission-driven women entrepreneurs about how they came back up on their feet with humility and resilience after unexpected events crumbling their businesses. You can follow along this podcast series starting with the journey of Carrie Murphy, in episode 84, which was released at the beginning of October. My guest today is Laura Wright. She is the founder and master coach at Epic at Sales. Laura's approach to creating wealth and scaling businesses is simple, effective, and steep in the absolute belief that sales are love. You're listening to Her CEO Journey, the business finance podcast for women entrepreneurs. I'm your host, Christina Shahli. If you are new here, a big warm welcome. If we are not connected on LinkedIn, please reach out and say hi, because that's where I hang out and share my business finance tips. If you have been listening to this podcast for a while and you are a regular listener, I want you to know I appreciate you. My podcast won't be around without your support. This is a free weekly show where my guests and I want to inspire you to balance between mission and profit, to create an impact in this world, and to achieve financial equality through your business. I can relate to what happened to Laura's business. I can also relate to how you felt when the revenue dropped significantly in March. I understand all of it. When the 2008 Great Recession happened, I was a finance leader in a mining company. I had a front row seat witnessing the roller coaster ride of the rapid decline in gold prices. No one expected a decline in gold prices because normally gold prices rose up when the market felt uncertainty. But the exact opposite happened in 2008. 
the gold price declined from over a thousand to seven hundred seventy-five per troy ounce on the very day Lehman Brothers went under, and it continued to stay low until two thousand and nine. Let me tell you, the pressure was high, especially when you had to face lenders and investors plus other stakeholders within the company. However, for better or worse, during the unpleasant time, I learned the big business principles to survive and thrive during a recession, in which small businesses can implement the same principles. Big business has a process to know where they stand financially at all times. They plan for the worst case scenario, so they know what they could do when revenue drops by X percentage while protecting the various stakeholders. I learned it's not all about cost cutting. Big business does not rely on hope, luck, and intuition. They use different scenario plannings to back up their short-term and long-term strategy. You can bring big business principle to drive your financial success if you know what they are and how to take advantage of those principles. By the way, once you have listened to today's interview and realize you need big business principle to gain clarity on where you stand financially and how to plan for the worst case scenario over the next few months, let's have a chat to see how we can implement processes from big business in your small business. Book a time to speak with me at christinashahli.com forward slash let's chat. Now, let's find out Laura's CEO journey. Laura Wright, welcome to her CEO journey. So I know a lot of people are scared about sales, but you have a different way of looking at sales, which is I love to talk about that. But before we get into the sales part and your expertise, can you please share how did your journey started? Hmm. So I have to say, When I look back at my entrepreneurial journey, it started back in 2001. Maybe I'm even going to say 1997. Yeah, 1997. Okay. So I was a budding artist inside of art school doing my doing. And I remember asking someone a question about, well, how was I going to make money as an artist? And he basically gave me the answer of, you need to go marry a very wealthy man. And that did not sit well with me, obviously. And so I know that planted the seed of becoming an entrepreneur. And my journey really began right after 9-11. I decided to quit my job, uh, like literally on the 12th. And I sat there and tried to figure out what I wanted to do. And the first thing that I ended up doing was returning to school to finish my degree because that was something I had left. And in the midst of that, I kind of got frustrated hearing my mom talking about wanting to invest in real estate. So I took that moment of frustration and turned it into a business and proceeded to create over the next few years, a multi-seven-figure real estate investment empire where we bought and sold and rented and renovated about 100 houses in a little over five years. And that went fantastically until it didn't, which was in 2008 when everyone might remember the real estate bubble bursting. But that was my first entree point into really stepping off the corporate track. I left my corporate job and I stepped full time into being an entrepreneur. And I've since then created many things thereafter, but that was really the beginning point. Okay, but 
from artists and then you become the multi seven figures kind of like real estate queen <laughs> how is that translate to sales where did you <laughs> learn all of this entrepreneurship marketing sales how yeah i will tell you so number one, i will be self professed i am a natural salesperson i remember when i was 19 years old I was again in art school and I just had this mind for business without knowing it and I remember mm. negotiation being so powerful and important and I had said to my dad at the time hey if I found a property to buy and could buy it and maintain it and pay the rent would you give me $8000 for the down payment and here's how I explained it to him I estimated that he would spend about i think $24,000 worth of housing and life expenses for me to be in college and 8,000 was just a piddly amount and he of course listened to my negotiation and said sure if you can find a house what he didn't know was i had already found it i had already found the property i was getting ready to write a contract on it and so when i came to him with that solid deal he handed me the money so i know <laughs> sales and negotiation are have always been in my wheelhouse but really where i started to learn sales and marketing from like the business perspective was when i was told you have to go marry a rich man i started to think about well what are other tools that i might need and then i got into doing corporate events and corporate sales for a few different companies and i soaked up all that information i watched Everyone who was doing the traditional sleazy sales tactics, which I don't do, I watched everyone who was doing the efforts to draw people in, and I learned outreach and business development. And I just I soaked all that up, but I put it through my own personal filter. And over the last twenty years, I've done the same thing. I consistently reach out and strengthen my skills for sales, for marketing, and understanding how to run business. And that's what has put together my twenty plus years of experience. What happened in the 2008 real estate bubble? <laughs> I'm going to tell you it's fun because I've unpacked this many times before and I know exactly what happened. There are two critical factors, three, yeah, two and a half. Okay, critical factor number 1 was I actually did not build a business based on my own passions and desires. I built a business that was not for me and not about me and not the thing that was sustainable and exciting. I picked something because my mother wanted to have a real estate business and I got frustrated hearing her talk about it but not take action on it and I'm an action taker. So I built something that was a great company but out of alignment to like really what my soul's purpose is and what I'm brilliant at. So that was the first off track piece so I wasn't surprised when it fell apart and it was a disastrously wonderful fall apart. But the second thing that showed up was I did not listen to my intuition. So right at the end of our business structure setup in 2008, we decided to take on a deal that was very risky and I'm a high risk tolerant person but the risk factor was it would only make sense and work if we could subdivide a land. that went against my rules for business. The way that I like to do business is that when I say yes to a deal, it's a done deal. It has like three different ways it can work out. And this one could only work one way. It was going to have this huge payoff, but it wouldn't work if it didn't have the huge payoff. So I heard in my gut in my body, don't do this. 
And I listened to my head that said, if you don't do this deal, everything falls apart and you can't make money. So that moment of choosing against what my intuition said and going against my what makes a deal a deal rules, like I literally just threw them by the wayside to take this deal. I'm now not surprised looking back that that was the linchpin that pulled apart our entire business. I always want to say it was like a third point. And I think the third point was it really just, I was doing all the right things and you can't do the right things if it's not energetically aligned. And again, I was, I felt like, I I hope this makes sense, but it was almost like I was, I was beating a dead horse. And I hate that terminology, but it's the best way to describe it because I didn't shift something inside my business when I could tell that things need to shift, which again goes back to that intuition. It's when you start to listen to your head and facts and figures versus your heart and your gut and what you should do. So in a real estate business, especially what you did in this multi-seven figures, when you say real estate, I think it's construction. So you're building houses. So here's what we did. We would buy established already existing buildings and we would either renovate them and rent them renovate them and sell them to homeowners, or we would buy the, there's something called wholesaling where you buy the contract and we wouldn't do any work on the building. We would just sell the contract to another investor. How did you get in trouble though? Because I know when we talk about this and I heard in another interview that you were in, something got you into debt. Is this the one? Yep, this is it. This was the, so there were two things that happened. So one is this bad deal. We actually, the way that real estate works when you're doing renovations is you can get a renovation loan and everyone thinks, oh yeah, you've got the money to renovate, but it doesn't. It's a prime the pump situation where you have to pay out to the people to do the renovations and then you submit receipts and get to get the money back on the renovation. And so that deal that we did, we funded everything and then did not get the funds back. And when we went to sell it, we had bought it for more than we could actually sell the property for. So we went like twice in debt with that. The other thing that's really important to know is while we were playing by the rules and buying properties at 70% loan to value, no one else was. And so if you remember, if you've ever watched the movie, The Big Short, when I watched that movie, it just made me sick in my stomach because I'm like, oh, I remember that. I remember that. I remember that. So all of the uh, mortgages and the debts that we had and people who were paying their rents to us, they stopped. We also had someone who destroyed one of our properties. And again, when we went to go try to renovate it, we legit couldn't because there wasn't enough equity in the house to get money. So we went, we went upside down really quickly when everybody else went upside down. We also were riskier than I think we probably should have been with our cash investments. And we ran probably a few too many projects at one time towards the end of our work together. And there was one more fun factor. (laughs) So we had a partner, I laugh, we had a partnership that included me and my mother and two brothers that not related to us. And so there were two family dynamics happening inside of a business. And so Family and business can be a recipe for disaster. And we created a scenario where it was two different family dynamics happening inside of a business. So when there was conflict in one arena of our lives, it really spilled into the business. 
Oh, gosh. How bad was the debt, Laura? So when I was in it at the time, while it felt disastrous, it felt like a normal number. So I left that company about $550,000 worth of business debt and $73,000 worth of personal debt. I had maxed out every single credit card I had. I had lines of credit because at the time, I don't know if you remember back to 2005 when people were just like, here's money. Yes, yes, I remember that. (laughs) And then I think that is one of the key struggle in 2008 because it was so many people have personal debt, right? And then real estate crash. Okay, go on. Yeah. So when I found myself in this place, there was one other fun little layer, which was um, my boyfriend at the time, husband now, did not actually know how bad things were. Like I hadn't sat him down and told him that like we were hemorrhaging uh, like $9,000 a month in the business. I had all this debt that we couldn't repay. And what I love about him so much is that he is years later said to me, oh, Laura, I knew how bad it was. I was waiting for you to come to me (laughs) so we could figure out a plan. He's like, okay, what's our plan? How are we going to get out of this? And so we made some dramatic and drastic choices. I negotiated some of my lines of credit down for one-time short payoffs. I actually set together a plan and it took us six years to pay off all of my debt. And I have to tell you, the only reason why I didn't do bankruptcy at the time, which I always go back and forth of, should I have had done that or not? The only reason why I didn't was because I could not come up with the additional $2,600 to pay to the bankruptcy attorney at the time that he needed it. And it was easier for me to do a debt repayment and pay off the debt. And what I want everyone to really hear is, it took six years to pay off the debt. And I just set it and forget it kind of thing. I set up the plan. I got the added benefit of being like active with my money again. I paid attention to it. I didn't get myself into debt in one day or one year. So I also didn't expect myself to get out of it in one day or one year. And I think that's a big pitfall that a lot of people hit is when they do accumulate debt, they come to me and they're like, well, I need to sell all this stuff so I can pay off all this debt. And I said, well, you know, look, you didn't make it in one day or one year. So let's not try to pay it off in one day or one year, but you can still energetically heal what's going on with it when you do set up a debt repayment plan. So, okay, did you close down that business? I assume you did. We did. Yes, 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 we did. We actually, we, there's a fun thing about doing things legally and within business is we did have LLCs that protected us. And everyone thinks you just close down the LLC and it disappears. But here's mm-hmm. the fun thing. Yeah. You know, <laughs> we, uh, we filed articles of incorporation addendment so we can close everything down. But we still had debt and mm-hmm. we still had personal guarantees on things. So we still had to take care of that. But how did you make the money to pay mm-hmm. the the debt in six yeah. years? Is this where this is an epic sales This is where it it all came about. So I want to tell you that I immediately ran out. I was like, yes, I know what I'm going to do. I'm going to make the money. That's not what happened. What actually happened was I found myself truly unemployable. Like you can't run a company and then go get a job. But I also didn't know what I wanted to do. So I started searching for a business coach because I knew I wanted to do a business, but I didn't know what I wanted to do. So why it happened was when my real estate business fell apart, It actually made me lose my identity. It broke my confidence. It did not break my spirit, but it put me 
in a place where I felt like I had to be in the back seat. I was afraid to go big again because I had gone big and I didn't go home. I went like into like debt. Yeah, debt. Right. You really like at the bottom. How long did it take you to make six figures? So 2009, I got the little job. I did 45. 2010, I probably did like about maybe 65,000. And then 2011, I think I was right on the edge of six figures. Yeah, because in 2012, I had made like 135. I remember that. And then in 2013, I decided to stop doing done for you sales for anyone else because I hit it. Any service provider will understand this. You hit a capacity where you can't do any yes, more work. Definitely. No I, more get hours. I don't get this. I am uh, uh, <laughs> <I'm> speechless. <laughs> okay. The reason I cannot talk, it's because you <laughs> were in debt. Okay, yes, I'm going to work my budget and then I'm going to set up my sales goals. What about my expenses? What about the profit? Like, how does it work with you? Yeah, I will tell you. So one is I do have a very strong budgeting tool. I know exactly how many clients I have coming in. I know exactly how much money they're paying me. I know exactly how much my costs are to run my business. I know exactly how much, almost the penny it costs to run our household. So I know all the figures and the facts. I don't just go into like fairyland and whip stuff up. But the second thing that I do know is I understand that I have the benefit of having had the worst thing that could possibly happen happen. So my fear doesn't run me anymore. And the worst thing that you could think about as a business owner is that you lose everything. And I will tell you the only reason we were not destitute on the street was because my husband's he it was his house he owned the home that we lived in so if it had been in my name we could have lost it so we got all the way down to i remember having 60 dollars to pay for groceries for us for a week and my husband is a massively wonderful like 200 pound rugby player strong red meat eating guy that's not a lot for 60 dollars so what i benefit from is that feeling of losing everything I now understand how I am the source of my income. How far do you forecast? Great question. So I have something I call um, an income runway. And I like to forecast out for at least 12 months. And I like to see my income runway at minimum six months of income. So like right now today, if I stopped selling in my business, I have enough income coming in to carry me all the way through December if I just stop selling completely, which I will never do. I like to be active inside my business and service provide and sell. But the way that I like to set it up is usually I'm earning all, if not more of the income I need for my entire year within the first three to six months. I'm assuming it has something to do with your business model. So what is your revenue model? (laughs) Yes. Okay. So I do high ticket, high touch sales inside of group masterminds. And what that means is I very rarely do actually just one-on-one coaching. I have programs and containers that people can come into. And the way that I teach this is I recommend that you have the scalable offer that you could put one or a million people into. And I have that. I have a co-coach that I brought her into my company to support me in being able to amplify, which is actually the name of the program, Amplify, amplify the results for our clients, but also amplify my ability to serve to them. 
I also sell 12-month contracts because the women that I work with are doing big things. They are running multi-six, multi-seven-figure businesses. So they're not trying to get in, get cash quick for 90 days. We're really doing long-term things. So long-term high ticket, and I love high touch for me. And I have a repeatable, sellable, scalable business. And I also, the way that I do with my business model is I don't do stop and starts with programs. I have open enrollment periods so that if I talk with someone in July, they can buy and join in July. If I talk with them in September, they can buy and join in September. Most people get caught up in a launch model where they open a program that starts on July 15th and you have to like push everyone in at that time and then it's closed. And I like to have open enrollment so that I can, anytime I speak to someone, have something to sell to them. What do you see as the issue many women entrepreneurs face during this pandemic? And how can you advise them? Oh, I love this question. So ladies, listen up. Do not ever, never, never stop selling your services. What I watched when, wherever you're listening to this, at the time when March for us was when the pandemic kind of popped up and there was something that goes on, everyone started panicking and freaking out and pivoting. And not only did I continue selling, it was that I didn't pivot and I didn't change. That doesn't mean that I don't have compassion because one of my rules for sales is love is it has to be a win, 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 win all the way around. It has to be done with compassion. It has to be of service to the person I'm working with. It has to be of services to me. So when those things are taken into consideration, I can sell no matter what is happening. doesn't mean I didn't address what was going on. But what I know is this. I am so strong in my core values that any outside activity can come along, any market upset, anything like right now, we have a real big surge in equality. Black Lives Matter is very important. Depending on when you're listening to this, that's what's going on politically right now. Any of these actions happen. And what I understand is the strength of who I am inside my business and the care that I put into taking care of my clients is the same. My core values are the same. So I stay a stable lighthouse in the harbor while the winds are blowing and I consistently sell. And when I do that, because my mission is no woman down, my mission is to help women understand how to structure their offers and sell their services and make wealth. I'm actually more lit up. My business has expanded. More people have need for my services than ever before because people are in a place of understanding that they are the only ones they can count on. People don't have job stability the way it used to exist. And people want to have business stability. So I recommend that you stay in the critical need services. Be very clear about what you're selling. Be super clear about who your ideal client is. Be incredibly clear about the promise of your program. And do not stop selling. There is never a reason to stop as long as what you're doing falls into the category of service. Now, if you're selling like BS stuff that doesn't help people, well, then it doesn't matter what's going on in the economy. You shouldn't do that. But if you are doing critical care services, keep going. Okay, so Laura, where can people find you? People can find me epicatsales.com, E-P-I-C-A-T-S-A-L-E-S.com. I have a free book. I've got lots of resources. Come hang with me. Okay, Laura, thank you so much for being here. And that's bring us to the end of another show. Thank you so much for listening to another episode of Her CEO Journey 
the business finance podcast for women entrepreneurs. If you want to create a proactive financial plan and process for your business, so you are ready to weather the financial storm over the next few months, let's chat and see what's possible for you. Book in a time to speak with me at christinashahli.com forward slash let's chat.